Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. Today on the podcast, we've got Dorian Soans with us, and Dorian Soans is a nutritionist. So I'll get him to introduce himself and tell, let him tell us all about him, what he does and where he's from. So welcome, Dorian. Hi there. Hi, Matthew. So, yeah, I'm a nutritionist and I'm practicing. I'm training the functional medicine model. I'm working uh, mostly with uh, clients who have autoimmunity or, or histamine issues or gut issues. That's probably like 80% of my work now. And I'm helping them to uh, dramatically improve or in some cases completely reverse their symptoms, reverse their condition. Uh, and I'm based in uh, Farnham in Surrey in the UK, but most of my clients now are international. So I have clients from, you know, I, have, I cover actually all time zones from at the moment with from New Zealand all the way to California. So, so most of my clients are not based in the UK. So yeah, that's, that's me. So what actually got you into it in the first place, and Dorian? Is it, have you got a kind of a, did you grow up with it? Have you got a backstory or did you just no, fall into it? No, not, not at all, no. So I've been doing this for five or six years now, and I'm, I'm 41, so I had a sort of 15 years in industry doing something completely different. I was actually, I was a ship broker. That's, uh, so I was like, which is not a ship broker, although some people might say I was. I was. So uh, it was, uh, that's like real estate for ships, right? So you sell a ship and you take a commission on that. And as a kid, you know, I was kind of into health and fitness through rugby. I used to play rugby as a kid uh, well, when I was 18 and, and in university as well. And uh, it was all like protein shakes and creatine, that sort of thing for nutrition combined with weight training. Outside of that, I didn't really think about it. Uh, as a shit broker, I took absolutely no interest in nutrition whatsoever. And actually, my lifestyle was completely different from it, how it is now. And in my sort of early mid thirties, when I was around 32, uh, I started to feel pretty crappy. Um, and uh, I just had my first, I was living in Singapore actually at the time. And I just had my, my first child. And it was shortly after that, I said, we, we moved back here in uh, 2012, I think it was to start a business here uh, in shipping still. And I, I just noticed that I felt really crappy uh, most of the time. to the point where it was actually really debilitating um the, the worst symptoms for me were fatigue and also like i was having really bad uh, anxiety and insomnia and eventually after months of this i went to the doctor and they ran a few tests and i was they said you've got an overactive thyroid i had absolutely no idea what that meant at the time i was referred to an endocrinologist went through the whole thing and they said you had graves disease it's an autoimmune disease that uh, you know your, your, your immune system's attacking your thyroid. There's nothing you can do about it. We're going to give you some medications, and then eventually you're going to have to have your thyroid ablated with radioactive iodine, or you're going to have to cut get it cut out. So uh, you know the diagnosis really really shook me actually, it, because you know I this this horrible but getting told this horrible thing that basically that your body's attacking itself. We don't know why it just is and there's nothing really you can do about it um so i did everything the endocrinologist said you know i was a model patient really and um and actually my thyroid blood tests uh normalized but i still felt like total crap uh i still had massive anxiety i still had horrendous insomnia which was if anyone's watching this who has had insomnia is the absolute worst you know there was at my worst there were times where i went weeks and I felt like I was sleeping maybe one or two hours a night. 
So I didn't know if it was day or night at this point. It was really, really horrendous. And it was obviously affecting my life in terms of my, um, my work. I wasn't working much at this point. It was affecting my family. I have a wife and, and uh, my, my oldest son. And it was a year of going through this. And then they said, right, well, you're not getting better. So we better chop out your thyroid or do radioactive iodine to ablate it. And it just didn't seem, it didn't, like I didn't know anything about medicine or nutrition. It just didn't sound right to me that you would chop out a body part. And that's when I started to research alternatives and I came across functional medicine and that sent me on a path of, um, I actually did work with a practitioner at the time, who I still know to this day, but it sent me a path on my own research about diet and lifestyle. And to cut a very long story short, I dramatically improved. I completely normalized my thyroid. Uh, and I'm now five, six years. I haven't had a problem with my thyroid. And, and really it was that experience that like, I was like, I can't believe I can't believe that we're telling people this stuff and that no one knows about, no one knows about this. And I started researching this nutrition more than I was doing my own job. And I thought, you know, I'm extremely passionate about this. I want to do, I want to do this and help other people in similar positions to me. So I went and got a master's. Uh, I got a master's in personalized nutrition. I got a diploma, a nutritional therapy diploma as a practice registered with Bant and CNHC. And that's it. That kind of brings you up to speed without the sort of ins and outs and how I did it. No, that's brilliant. That's absolutely great. And, and similar to a lot of people that I've spoken to in the past as well, it, it's so unfortunate that you have to go out there and find out that your own research and yes. go down your own path to work out what's best for yourself. We're not being told these kind of things from our professionals who we trust. You know, we should be able to trust professionals and it, and I mean, so extreme as your case being that it was to the fact where you was going to get a body part chopped out, that it helped you to turn to nutrition and figure out there must be another way. Surely we've got to think about searching nutrition first, search lifestyle and nutrition choices first before we think about chopping out body parts. And anybody who's in similar sort of positions, perhaps not as extreme, but have autoimmune diseases or gut problems or anything, always look for nutritional and lifestyle choices first never go to the extremes that some people can go i mean you may have to some people do require surgery and you may have to go down that route but there's nothing wrong with saying like yourself did let me just have a look see if there's another way let me see if i can do something with nutrition and lifestyle choices first and was it purely the fact that you thought right i'm just going to change go against the guidelines i'm going to change everything all in one go or did you maybe take like a little bit of a more step-by-step -step approach um i actually went in so i mean i can tell you that i i started joining facebook forums when i was diagnosed and there were a few people in there who would say things like you know diet can make a massive difference and and i always used to just think what a load of bollocks <laughs> <laughs> And, and I remember when I was very, really desperate, I actually asked my endocrinologist, listen, I've read, you know, I've read some people saying cutting out gluten or something. Is that going to make a difference? And he said, no, what a load of rubbish. Just that is complete pseudoscience. Stay away from that. And that kept me away from it for another, say, eight months until, you know, it was literally about I was looking at staring down the barrel of having, having my thyroid out or ablative and basically buying myself time. Um, and um, I 
and I started to look into it myself and and that's I, I went full in I just went full in straight away I'm a pretty disciplined guy so I found it quite easy right once I made the decision to go into it and that was it really so you so, say so you say you went full in what does that mean does that mean that you took out all well, fresh food so i'll tell you that my journey was my journey was the first thing i read was just from a recommendation was uh, mark sisson's uh, the primal blueprint and that's basically an introduction to effectively a paleo diet right um and so i read that book and it's really if anyone's read it it's a great introduction it's a really well written book it's entertaining it keeps you uh, reading and um and so I, I did that i literally just said okay right i'm going to go in in for this and instantly felt better right within within weeks i would say i felt better um and uh i started applying heat i mean he talks about other principles i think he says like you know lift heavy weights sprint you know sleep so i i basically applied those principles and i instantly felt better now it wasn't a complete cure there were other things i did along the way and other things I experimented with, definitely with diet. You know, I'm in a constant flux with experimenting with my own diet, actually. But I think I've worked out pretty well, what, uh, uh, generally speaking, what works with other people. And there is a, an individual difference there. But um, but that that was what I, I went into. It was like a fairly strict paleo diet to begin with. And um, the lifestyle recommendations from that, which is sort of lift heavy things, which I was into anyway, sprinting, and then also managing your sleep. Uh, and stress management as well like mindfulness i got into mindfulness pr pretty pretty heavily that's great and i, I love the way that, that you, you tell us about your story you're really driven and you're really focused and you really went for it the, the thing is that i work with a lot of people who like to toe tap you know let me mm. just put my toe yeah. in see how this is yeah. i have worked with people who are driven and, and really go for it yeah. and, and then you can set them something like a carnivore diet straight off they jump into it and yeah. really grab onto it but yeah. there's 90%, 80 to 90% of people are more toe-tapping people, which I would 100%. call, and would say, look, I can't do what you've done, basically. Yeah. I can't just go for it. What can I do yeah. as a beginner, as somebody listening on the peripheries of this video, thinking, oh, is it for me? You know, are these guys yeah. talking? What can they do to potentially help themselves be, be, have a better lifestyle and bring in a better nutrition to their lifestyle? Yeah. So 100%, I completely agree with you. And I, that's been a learning experience for me is that not many people are exactly the same as me. And, and that's, that's fine. Um, you know, I'm a, probably a bit A-type and a bit obsessive, which is also a downside in many ways. So, so I, my recommendation is quite with specific to nutrition. I mean, I, I run a 12-week program. So I take people through very small steps on each week. But the first step is like, basically, I don't take anything away from their diet. I just add to it and I'll specifically add protein. So animal protein specifically, not, not uh, any other kind of, not plant protein. So animal protein, we're going to track where you are now, right? We're going to set an ideal amount and you're going to work up to that ideal amount of, of protein, which for most people is going to be like, you know, 130, 140 grams for, for females, 180, maybe 160, 180 grams for males, right? You're going to work up to that amount. And you're going to keep working up to that amount until you get to a level that's comfortable, the maximum that's comfortable, right? Now you know what that looks like, right? And you can do that every day, three times a day, right? That's what you look, that you know what it looks like on your plate. And there you go, that's your protein. And now we'll work on the next thing. So, so doing that and that way you don't take, and honestly, as an intervention, like getting your close to one gram per pound or two grams per kilo, close to that from 
animal protein. That's massive, right? You're now, you've now got balanced blood sugar, right? Your blood sugar is now basically balanced most of the time. You're going to feel more energy. You're probably going to sleep better. Some people notice instant gut symptom reliefs. Basically, you are using amino acids as signaling molecules for like abundance is what I like to say, right? You're now a good hunter or you're in a tribe of good hunters. That's what your body is now registering, right? Rather than being depleted because we've got no good mechanism for storing amino acids, right? We can store energy as fat, no problem. I mean, we don't, we can store amino acids as muscle, but we don't want to break that down really. We're in a catabolic state when we want to break it down. And most of my clients are in a totally catabolic state. I want them to be in the opposite, right? So just doing that is really low hanging fruit and it's fantastic. And then once they've seen the improvements from that, generally they're sold on diet. So when it comes to, if we do need to make more tweaks that we do with some people about taking stuff out, it's a much easier conversation because they've just, they, they see the difference that made. How much difference can we make if we take some out? And for other people, actually, it's, it's obvious. I mean, I just came off a uh, call just now, actually, with a client who, uh, gluten in, in specific, um, really screws them up. So it's once you show them that there's life without that, it's quite easy for them to follow because, you know, that's, yeah. It's just not worth it, right? I, I, I love the way you do that. And you just say, look, let's just add something in, and especially protein as well, because mm. I'm all about keeping things simple. And, and you know when you have a conversation with somebody who knows nothing about nutrition, then if you try and complicate things too much, you've lost them straight away in the first sentence. So if you can say something like just add animal protein in, add lots of it, you know, add as much as, as you can eat, basically, to, to yeah. get full. If yeah. you can do that, then what you tend to find anyway is that they get so satiated that they don't even eat the other things that they were having in their nutrition, like the breads and the pastas and the things that they thought was yeah. filling them up. That doesn't tend to happen because protein tends to come along with fat anyway. So then yes. that helps you to be satiated. And yeah. it also comes along with all the nutrients and all, all the vitamins and minerals that, that your body needs and requires. And a lot of sati being satiated, being full, a lot of that comes from the nutrients that you get. If your body's happy with the amount of nutrients and the kind of nutrients that it's getting, then it won't tend to send you too many hunger signals. So although protein and fat are good, they keep you satiated, also you need all the nutrient density that comes with it. And that tends to be found in, in animal protein. I like the way you emphasize animal protein. Yeah. Maybe we can, we can emphasize a bit more on animal protein and say, why is this animal protein? And why are we not turning to plant protein, which in the media, they'll have you believe is better? Yeah. Well, it's just animal protein. So it's the, mo it's the most bioavailable, right? That's, that's extremely clear in the literature. There's no real debate on that. In terms of the amino acids that get into your bloodstream, it's the most bioavailable. And it's the easiest to digest. It's, it's what your digestive tract is designed to break down. It's designed to break down you know, animal protein into the constituent amino acids that we then go and do stuff in our body with our like, detoxification, our immune system, whatever it is. Um, and um, the, the thresholds of essential amino acids are just so much lower in plant protein to have the same, the same effects, you'd have to eat that much more. And anyone who has an autoimmunity or a digestive issue will, will tell you what's going to happen if you eat a, a buttload of lentils. You know, <laughs> you're going to be you're going to look like you're six months pregnant, right? I, I, I haven't yet really, when people have an issue digesting animal protein, which happens, the first thing I think is low stomach acid. 
and, and that's actually pretty easy to fix. You know, you can use supplements as well as other stuff so they can get their stomach acid tapping up their parasympathetic nervous system. They get their own stomach acid going eventually. But, but even just with the use of supplements, you know, we can take that away almost straight away, right? Beta and HCL, you can start with a very low dose if they can't tolerate a high dose. Um, so I, I, I don't get people, I don't have people have the same issues with animal protein as they would with plant protein, which is basically definitely superior for making farts <laughs> and not really superior for much else as far as I can see. Uh, it's also the, the sheer volume when you take chickpeas or lentils, right, or beans, right, it's not just protein. That actually, the percentage of protein is, is not actually relatively high in that, that food. You have to eat a massive volume of that food, which also includes carbohydrates um, and the fibers and stuff that's going to give you gas. So to, to get one gram on, now I've actually looked at this, to get one gram on like a vegan diet, let's say, let's say the extreme, you take a plant-based, a vegan diet, it's the, the amount, the volume, one gram per pound of body weight, the volume you have to eat is almost insurmountable. It's impossible. And I really think that actually, really, we should be going for that. Well, I know that, that it's, I think it's 0 0.6 to 0 0.8 grams is what you need for muscle building, right? But I actually, I, I, what I observe clinically it, this isn't just about muscle building. It's the constant supply of amino acids that really contributes to you getting healthier and improving your outcomes. So um, it's almost impossible to do on a plant-based diet. And if you have digestive issues, gut issues, which most of my clients do to some degree, uh, that, that just ain't happening. You know, you're just, you're fermenting food, you're feeding bacteria, you're not feeding yourself. Yeah, well, I think that's great to say you're feeding bacteria and, and that bacteria then ends up causing the digestive issues which the fiber and things just live on um, in your gut. And I think it, what's important to say is that, especially everybody I've worked with, I don't know if it's the same what you've worked with, is some people will say to follow the guidelines of 0 0.8, 0 0.6 grams or, or, or one gram per, per pound of body weight and all that. But instead of counting numbers, because lots of people won't want to go away and won't want to count numbers, like we said earlier, just eat the protein until you're full. There's nobody that I've worked with that's overeaten protein and has a problem with it you can't really i mean you can overeat protein but when you're coming from a background of processed food and lots of carbohydrates and things switching over to a protein kind of heavy nutrition mm. that you probably feel like don't feel like you have to count every gram that goes in don't <laughs> don't think that um. you have to have a scales there measuring each day you've got to have this amount of macros that amount of macros sure. just prioritize your protein go for it don't don't if you're listening to this and you're thinking i'm having too much protein you're probably not because <laughs> yeah. i've yet to work with anybody who has said look i can't work with this i'm having too yeah. much protein and has and has not been able to to uh, aim for whatever goal it is that they want weight loss or, or performance or whatever no i totally agree with that and when when i when i when i track protein with my clients i'm not only tracking protein or other calories and, and the purpose is not to do that forever it's to do it for two weeks and then they, then they have in their mind what it looks like which roughly like that much protein, your whole hand on a plate three times a day. That's roughly what it looks like, right? To put it in layman's terms. And that, that and then you're going to be golden. That's basically going to be it. I've experimented with myself where I've, I've eaten 400 grams of protein a day. And um, I got very warm, interestingly. Which yeah. was, uh, that's what I noticed with the thermic effect of food. But there's also studies like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Jose Antonio, 
who does who did protein overfeeding studies. He did protein overfeeding studies in athletic aged males who were already on a high protein diet. So these guys were getting close to 200 grams of protein a day anyway. So there was a control group who were unchanged. One group did um, 100 grams more protein on top. And there was another group that 200 grams more protein on top. And they saw what happened, right? And if you feed those, if you do exactly the same experiment, but with carbs and fats, we know what happens, right? We know what happens. But with protein, nothing happened except the, the higher protein group said that they found extremely satiated and it was really hard to eat enough protein to get the, And they felt very warm as well because of the thermic effect of food. So, but um, no, I, 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 it's almost impossible to eat too much protein because your body will just will turn off its hunger signals. It just won't do it. So yeah, very difficult. Yeah, that's great. And like I say, a lot of people are scared of it when you mention, especially probably more women than, than men, when you 100%. say, uh, you know, to eat more protein and, and, and eat more fats, uh, then kind of puts them off. But there, in, in retrospect, when you, when you look at studies like that, you can see that, you know, it doesn't do you any harm to have extra protein. If you are struggling with, even if you're struggling with fats, then go to protein, you know, have extra protein. But let's talk about fats as well. You know, we talked yeah. about animal protein. So let's yeah. talk about fats. You know, yeah. why do we often say to people, you know, look at your fats macro when you, when you you weighing up your macros, carbs, um, proteins, and fats that they're macronutrients. When you weigh when we're trying to change somebody from a carbohydrate heavy processed food nutrition, why do we often switch over and say make sure you're eating plenty of fats? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I think first of all, if you're going to be eating, if you're going to be eating your best sources of animal protein, you're you're not going to be you're going to be eating fat, right? Um, short of eating chicken breast all day long which would be really miserable <laughs> and, and it would be uh, almost impossible as well right uh you're going to be getting plenty of fats because i think when we look at sources of protein if we're looking at it from a nutritional point of view in terms of what's going to give us the biggest bang for our buck nutritionally organ meats aside is going to be red meat right? That's going to give us the bang for your buck. So you're, you're, you're going to be getting fats with, um, with your protein. Um, and animal fats, again, you know, animal fats are extremely nourishing. They, they carry essential nutrients like vitamin D, vitamin K2, uh, retinol, right? Retinol, which you cannot get from plants. You cannot get retinol from plants. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big vitamin A guy actually, because vitamin A is like the vitamin no one really talks about. And vitamin A regulates your cell division. It, it regulates your immune system. So being sufficient in vitamin A is, is a big deal, right? You're not gonna, you are absolute, the amount of sweet potato, which I think is the most concentrated vitamin A plant food you need to eat. It's like two pounds of sweet potato a day or something. So good luck doing that to get, to get enough from beta carotene. I think 40% of people have a, have a genetic snip where they can't actually, they can only, make so much uh, vitamin retinol from beta carotene anyway so and most of those people are northern european so they basically have got rid of the ability to make their vitamin a from plants or reduce their ability to make vitamin a from plants. so so that's why you'd want animal fats i mean it, it comes together we, we we're reductionist in the fact that we're talking about this separately but obviously it's a package animal protein and animal fat come together the, the only the, the the big thing with animal fat over the last 60 years or however many it been is, is the whole uh, lipid diet heart hypothesis, which actually originally turned people off all fats. Um, there's a massive question marks around 
why we should be doing that. And it's all related to how uh, saturated fat and its effect on your LDL. Cholesterol is now has no effect on your LDL. And there's mass, I, I personally have massive question marks around that whole method. But again, clinically, what do I see? If I tell people to eat more meat, specifically red meat, things like red meat and eggs, what happens? Does their autoimmune disease or gut health or histamine issues, do they get better or worse? They get better. Almost unanimously, they get better. So um, as a clinician, that is what I'm interested in. Yeah, uh, brilliant. I, I love the way you put it. I just want to kind of summarize it a bit for people who, who are listening. Yeah. And, and I just want everybody to understand the fact that you have to swap over to fat you have to have this fat into your nutrition Mm. like you say animal fat if you're eating good amounts of protein you get the animal fat with you because generally when you're eating a high carbohydrate diet you're constantly fueling on the sugar all the time Mm. i've talked about the sugar roller coaster uh, on the podcast a lot everybody knows if you're having lots of sugar highs then you, you have a low but we want to try and give you the same energy but for it to be stabilized throughout the day And that's why we introduce higher fat percentages in a program or or a nutrition plan that you will get a set if you try and change your nutrition. Or even if you're doing it yourself and you're making those smarter choices, then you're already listening to us upping your protein. Don't be scared of those fats as well. Cook with butter. You know, make sure you introduce plenty, plenty of fat because your energy's got to come from somewhere. You know, you, you, like we mentioned earlier, you don't want to be breaking down the proteins. You don't want to be breaking down the amino acids. I've talked about gluconeogenesis before, which, yes, you can break down the proteins for your energy. But really, we don't want to be doing that. So we want a source of energy. And that could come from the fat. Now, everybody's going to be different and everybody's going to have a different goal. If your goal is weight loss, then you may be able to survive on the fat you've already got on your body. So you might not need as high amounts of fat as some keto programs and some internet programs say you've got to have super, super high amounts of fat in your coffee. You've got to put a slice of lard in your coffee and everything. You may not need that if that goal is to lose lots of fat off your body because you can you can tap in and use that. But you will need some external energy to add into your nutrition. And just also, just um, before we move on, to touch on that uh, vitamin A as well, there's loads of different kind of vitamins and minerals within plants that our bodies just cannot break down. And the plants make it a lot harder for your body to break down as well. You touched on uh, beta carotene, which is vitamin A in the plant form. And it's so hard. for We can convert it into retinol, which our body can use, but it is so hard and it gives our body a problem. So they're the digestive issues that you're probably experiencing from that is your body struggling really, really hard to convert enough of that vitamin A to give it to you in animal form which is the retinol which you mentioned and there's loads of other ones which go down a similar path as well so that's why you say introducing red meat and eggs and animal produce into people's nutrition is in a way it kind of just resets the body brings it back to where we need to be and in nutritional terms as well gives us all those nutrients and all those vitamins and all those minerals that that we require um to thrive on 100%. 100%. Yeah, totally. So, so is there is there something that can go along with nutrition then as well? We're, we're trying to get people over to a more whole foods-based uh, diet, but it's not just about nutrition. That's why I'm all about a nutritional lifestyle because yeah. you can still 100% bulletproof your nutrition, but if other things within your life are not great, 
then it may not work as well as you expect. What other kind of things can we touch on? No, that's absolutely right. And, and I think, and actually that's a big mistake that I see people making is that they, they'll sometimes go headlong into a diet and then they won't see the results. And though there might be, you know, maybe there's certain things we can pick apart the diet that they're not doing right. Uh, it, it's not just diet. It, there are people out there who change the diet and then miracles happen. It's not everywhere. Um, obviously, the massive ones that I consider is stress. So I'd say stress resilience, right? We, we don't want to eliminate stress from our lives. It's not desirable because if you don't experience the lows, you can't experience the highs. It's part of the human experience. But resilience to stress. Um, movement is obviously massive. And then sleep, right? Which everyone, everyone listening to this will, will agree, right? Everyone's had a bad night's sleep. How you feel after a bad night's sleep is a completely different world to how you feel after a good night's sleep, right? So if we can, if we can, if we can work on those things, that's what I would consider to be the whole picture. But stress resilience is a big one because it's so all encompassing. Like it's, it's your relationship with your own mind, as well as your relation, your mind's relationship with its environment, right? Which is everything. That's the difficult person at work, right? Or uh, troublesome relationships with your family and stuff like that. These are all signaling to our minds uh, a lack of safety right and with so many things uh, like you, your brain is is the master control center of your body and it does that through your nervous system right your central nervous system so your brain detects what environment you're in and that is carried out by your nerves right and and your nervous system can either prioritize functions that it thinks it needs to survive because it's in a dangerous environment a, a non-safe environment or it can carry out functions that it thinks it needs to survive because it's in a safe environment, right? And those two things are completely different. We can, we can be anabolic, we can make sex hormones because we're in a safe place to make babies, right? Or we can be, so we can prioritize anabolic hormones like sex hormones because we don't mind if we've got a bit of extra muscle because we're in a safe, abundant environment, right? Um, and, and we can regulate our digestion because we're, we've got, you know, we've got loads of food to eat, so we need want to do that. Or we can just prioritize anxious thoughts in our brain because that's actually a survival mechanism. That anxious thoughts is you trying to anticipate danger. That's what anxiety is. We can prioritize catabolism, breaking down tissue for energy because we're not going to be eating much. We're in a scarce environment. So we need to create our own energy um, and, you know, things like, you know, getting your muscles ready to go and stuff like that. So your, your nervous system's control of your body is almost entirely down to the environment that your brain perceives it's in. And there's so much to that. So that's why I say stress resilience is actually a massive piece. Movement and sleep is kind of easy. We can, we can not easy to fix necessarily, but easy to work out. But the stress resilience piece is a very broad thing. It is, yeah. And, and how can, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, how can people, because there may be people listening there thinking, oh, yeah, I've got plenty of stress. I'm, I'm really resilient to stress. It's not a problem. Mm. But we're not talking about chronic stress. We're not talking about stress all of the time. We're talking about acute stress, stresses that we can deal with uh, a short amount of times but are quite intense. Mm, so sure. what kind of things can people do in, the, in their daily lives to, to be more resilient to stress by adding in these acute stresses? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so so acute stressors like so so things that make you more resilient to stress are acute stressors, right? Lifting heavy weights, for example, is an acute stressor. Um, a cold shower is an acute stressor, right? These things all 
make you far more resilient to stress if you if you can if you deadlift a shed load of weight right your body is more resilient to stress by by definition if you if you have the the struggle like i do in my mind every morning i don't want to get in that shower but you do you are you're making yourself more resilient to stress so so those activities that's why you know it's it's hard to separate these things out into into you know again we're being a bit reductionist and that's not how things work if your sleep's better you're more resilient to stress if you if you if you optimize your movement you're more resilient to stress in terms of practices that can make you more resilient to stress you know lifting heavy weights is a really good one the, the thing with movement is is there's a very individual dose response there you know i've worked with people who are in their 20s and and very athletic and i've also worked with like 90 year old diabetics and obviously the movement program for those two people looks very different right with a with a 90 year old i'm working on can you get up from a chair without your hands right and and if you can he's more resilient now that's he is now stronger than he was um um but in terms of like um in terms of chronic stress um that's where i think the the dangers of pathology come on so the persistent signaling from your environment or your brain signaling to its body that you're in a state of uh constant survival that is what biases your hormones one way biases your bodily function one way and and that is what builds up over time so that when people in their 30s 40s and 50s because that's usually when these things happen they sort of have a collapse in their health and they've got an autoimmunity or something that is generally tends to, I think that's what happened to me. And that's generally tends to be what happens to other people. And I, I mean, a really obvious example is, you know, I touched on it earlier when your body believes it's in an environment, a, a stressful environment, right? Our body doesn't understand money, family, doesn't understand supermarkets. It understands scarcity and abundance. That's the language it talks in. Right. So when it's in stress, it thinks scarcity, we're not going to be eating food. Your, your gut taken as one mouth to anus is the second most organ hungry energy hungry organ if we think of it one organ in your body after your brain right so it's it titrates all those resources away from your from your digestive system puts it into things to help you survive right you now have no gut function you've now got low stomach acid you've got uh, low digestive enzymes your bile secretion is bad you don't have any peristalsis and yet you're still eating so you're introducing food into this environment that doesn't want food so what happens? You don't break down your food properly. Okay, the food sits there. It doesn't, you start to get overgrowths of bacteria. You start to get bloating. You get diarrhea or constipation with it. And that is typically, and then all of, you know, your gut, your, your relationship between your gut and your immune system, 70 or 80% of your immune system outside your small intestines. You get overgrowths in your gut. You're, you're dinging your immune system constantly, right? That's when immune issues start to happen. So, so that's why I think the chronic stress piece is the one that's very more difficult for people to deal with. But definitely with the acute stresses, we can we can build in acute stresses that make you more resilient to chronic stresses. That's definitely correct. Yeah, I think in nutrition terms, they just touched on it with your digestion. It's That's why it's so important to have periods of not eating yeah. as well, because then it gives your gut and it gives your immune system chance to work out what's going on, chance to repair anything that needs to to be repaired as well and it's not being constantly bombarded with things it needs to deal with the whole time just to try yeah. and break it down into its simplest form and i know there's a lot more to it than that but no, you know, sure. for beginners they got to really understand why why are you telling me to fast you know why why are you telling me not to eat it's to bring you in 
to a stress that's not a chronic stress to bring you back to somewhere that you, your body can basically reset again. I, 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 when I sell my programs, I often say the reset programs. And that's what we try and do is reset everything using, mm. using things like you mentioned, like acute stressors and, and using um, good nutrition as well. 100%, and, yeah. and, and sleep, you know, like you say, you can't, you can't touch on sleep enough. Sleep is so very important. I know myself at the moment, I've got a one month old. <laughs> so, Congratulations. yeah, so um, sleep is like gold dust around here. Yes. But uh, yeah, you can certainly tell, tell the difference. Um, so you just have to try your very best to do it. But you mentioned um, about training in the gym, building muscle. Um, mm. That is something that I often try and tell people, if you want to live long, if you if your aim is longevity, yeah. you need to build muscle. Yeah. Muscle is the thing that's going to stop you falling over when you get older. Yeah. Muscle is, you know, everybody goes out there and tries to do as much cardio as they like running around the block. I mean, um, doing whatever they can. But it's the, it's the building of the muscle. And that also, not only does it help prevent falls and, and, and ailments when you get older, but it's also important for your hormones as well. Yes. Yeah. I, well, yeah. Speaking my language, you really are. So like that is a, is a big part of what I do with my clients, right? Whether the, you know, so some of them deliberately come to me because they know that others don't, but we're still kind of working on that. Um, I, I'm not, I'm absolutely not anti-cardio. I think cardio though is abused. You know, cardio is the first thing people think of when it comes to fitness and, you know, oh, I'm going to go back in shape. It's January. I'm going to go for a 10 K run, right? People don't respect cardio. And like most people, you know, most people, they run, their biomechanics is, is terrible, right? And they, they push themselves to a, pit, a, a place where they're really tired. It's the same as, no one would say, I haven't worked out for a while. I'm going to go and do a two times body weight squat, right? <laughs> Not so, uh, no one's going to say that, right? They, they probably wouldn't be able to do it anyway, but it is the equivalent of that. People seem to respect weights more than they respect running which is just this thing you can throw in but actually when you go for a run like a 10k run for an hour you're elevating your stress hormones and you're keeping them elevated there and the message you're sending to your body is one that needs to be more efficient right so your body now has to adapt by becoming more efficient which is not beneficial to your weight loss goal if that is your goal because now you sit around all day in a hyper palatable food environment where we have abundant food right and your body is trying to be more efficient with its calories which is the opposite of what you want to do. Um, but longevity, 100%, like, so that, that's very clear in the literature, right? There's no biomarker that holds up to strength in particular in over 60s of who's going to live the longest, okay? And, and what, when, I, when I see people, all of them are weaker than they should be and under-muscled because we have these sedentary lives that are, are, are relatively weak. Um, there, there is not there's so, the, the beauty of this is if we just look at this from a high level and we just say, right, we're going to make you, what can we do to make you as strong as possible? We can optimize your protein. We can get you lifting heavy weights, right? Along with that, everything is going to improve, right? Everything is going to improve because all of a sudden now you're calling on demand for sex hormones to make you stronger. You're increasing your metabolism. The, the, the relationship between your brain, your nervous system and your metabolism, your brain believes as your metabolism goes up, you're in an environment of abundance. So I, I see people who get, get stronger and all of a sudden they feel warmer and all this other stuff. You know, they start to sleep better through the night. They've got better blood glucose regulation and their, their, their immune symptoms, their autoimmune symptoms or their histamine symptoms start to subside. Um, you know, we now like we, we muscle is we look at it as an endocrine organ, right? It signals 
to the I, I, I think they the it's called my the cytokine that my muscles released if I'm right is myokines That's right. myokines which literally signal to your immune system and they balance your immune system that they're, they're anti-cancer so we should all like the 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 one thing often is like, I don't want to look especially female clients as well I don't want to look muscular I don't want to look big so unless you you know most people aren't genetic freaks right most people find it pretty difficult to build build a significant amount of muscle not on exogenous hormones right and i you know i've been training my nuts off now for the best part of like almost 25 years right so if you find the secret to to building a lot of muscle instantly please <laughs> let me know. It's, it's just not going to happen it really really is just not going to happen even for guys like for guys like you know i i've been training so long now i i am the same weight now i started training when i was 15 and i and i put on a relatively large amount of muscle quite quickly i was going through puberty so my testosterone would have been very high and that was it i'm the same weight now as i was when i was 18 and i've constantly been trying to get stronger and build muscle it's just not it just doesn't work like that so um so cardio is not the optimal for fat loss which seems to be the thing that's definitely not the case. And I do think the cardio in some people contributes to um, uh, problems, notably gut problems and eventually other stuff down the line, which all starts in the gut anyway. Um, yeah, definitely. and I, no, I think it's important for people to understand that uh, more muscle equals more fat loss. Uh, that's so, exactly right. so, so it's not the case of, you know, doing more cardio. Cardio is great for cardiovascular health. That's, 100%. That, that's it. You know, that, that's, it ends there. The yes. rest of your body is, you know, if you want to lose weight, you, your goal is to, to build strength. And we're not yes. talking about, uh, I know you mentioned lifting heavy weights and, and then that yeah. kind of scares people off, yeah. but we're not talking about lifting the heaviest weight you, you possibly can. We're talking about doing a push-up, yes. you know, doing doing a pull-up on a bar. You know, yes. your own personal strength is what we're talking about. We That's don't want right. you to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger no. at all. <laughs> we just yeah. want you to, to be stronger or yeah. to feel that you're able to do things a lot better with more strength. That's right. In yourself. And, and I've worked with people like laborers, um, builders carrying things and just simply by changing the nutrition so that their metabolism becomes faster and better. They yeah. often report back. They say, I feel stronger. Yes. You know, it's not the fact that I've given any extra weights to lift in the gym or anything like that. They're still going ahead and doing their, they're out, obviously they're active. They're lifting things up ladders and things, but they're just getting stronger. They can feel themselves. The nutrition's helped with that, and they're doing the activities as well. So you don't have to go mad and, and, and fill yourself full of a five-week, seven-week gym program. In fact, I would say you know a couple of days a week is, is probably all you need, even if you are somebody who is a cardio athlete. And I am one of those. I do endurance activity, triathlons, biking, swimming, running. But I really respect the fact that I'm not going to get the best out of myself unless I strength train because the strength is what gets you over the finish line. For anybody who's a runner or a biker, anything, it's not the time you spend. Well, you know, you've got to spend the time doing those activities, but the thing that's going to get you over the finish line strong is the strength, and you need to have that. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And I, just to say, when I say heavy weights, it's relative because absolute strength is not what's actually important you know everyone starts at a different baseline for absolute strength and has a different genetic potential the the important thing is getting stronger it's the act of becoming stronger so back to the 90 year old diabetic i was telling you about we got benefit 
the kind of benefits we're talking about from him by taking him from being able to stand with having to use his hands to not using his hands. Okay. So, so it's absolute strength. So he absolutely, he still wasn't very strong compared to someone who's a younger guy, but because he got stronger, that was the benefit. And that is actually my, that, that is the, the wonder of, of strength training as well is you don't need to do that much. And, and some of the results are semi-permanent. That's the other crazy thing because we know now about like muscle memory and everything like that. So you can take like three months off and you'll be back to where you were within a couple of weeks, even if it took you a couple of years to get to that point. So uh, yeah, that's my, my general recommendation is twice a week, actually. Just do some 30 minutes, 30, 30, 45 minutes, big compound lifts, right? That's all you need to do. I mean, if you want to take it really far, you never need to do three more than three or four times a week in the gym. And to endurance athletes, I say like Mo Farah, is actually really strong. In his off season, he focuses on strength training, right? Strength is the fundamental, is your foundational fitness above everything else. That's your foundation. And then you build the house on top of that. So whatever your goal is, you should be, you should have strength. Doesn't mean, you know, obviously at some point it doesn't become an advantage to get stronger, but you should be relatively strong. When someone is so frail that they can't get out of bed or so sick they can't get out of bed, it's not their cardiovascular system that's stopping them from doing that. It's their strength. That's why strength is foundational. You need strength to walk, right? And then you can build everything else on top of that. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's so important to say if, if you are an athlete out there listening and you haven't got strength in your, in your program and in, in whatever you're doing, then you need to add that in. It's why potentially some athletes out there get a lot more injuries and illnesses than, than the others because they're not focusing on enough protein for one in their nutrition and they're not focusing on enough strength in their program. So if you're listening to this, you think, well, I'm always injured, you know, yeah. you know, perhaps try that. You know, I'm not saying it's the be all and end all, but it's something to try. And in, anecdotally, we see that more than not. It works more than not. So that's the thing to try. And that's brilliant. It's been brilliant talking to you today, Dory. And I realise that time's just shot on. So that's I don't okay, want to yeah. keep you all day. But um, it, let's prioritise protein in our nutrition. Yeah. Get plenty of sleep. Build strength. Yeah. What other things can people do tomorrow that they wasn't doing today to have a better nutrition lifestyle? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, so I'll give you a couple of things because one of them is kind of gnarly and I, I kind of mentioned it before. So, so I, did, I didn't talk about walking. I think walking in nature is super important, right? Uh, ideally in nature, uh, there have been studies comparing the effect of walking in nature compared to walking in cities and that there is a difference. So walking is good anyway, but like, ideally in nature that will help with your that will relax you that will tap up your parasympathetic nervous system uh a huge benefits i don't think anyone does enough of that really so getting out in a daily basis and you can do that tomorrow right walking dead easy right everyone can walk um you might want to consider looking on your phone where you are in terms of steps and maybe boosting that by having a goal of boosting that by a thousand steps so that's the the the, the other thing but the one thing that I found, and I did touch on it earlier, but it's kind of gnarly, so I'm not sure everyone will do it, but you can definitely do it tomorrow. I found cold water hydrotherapy to be massive for, for me. Um, I, I said earlier, so I'm an A-type person. Uh, I tend to be a bit obsessive about things. Uh, I can tend towards anxiety, right, even before I got ill. And cold water hydrotherapy genuinely changed that. Um, and we can look at mechanisms as to why, right? When you get that cold water, the initial hit, it, it turns on your parasympathetic. It's the mammalian dive reflex, right? It's basically reduces your heart rate, it's preparing you for, 
um, for surviving in cold water. Start, if it sounds intimidating and we're coming into a time of year where it's actually getting a lot harder, if it sounds intimidating, start with a normal shower, go full cold at the end for 30 seconds, see how you do, see if you can progress. If you get the, if you, if you, if you like the feeling after that, no one likes the feeling in it, right? I don't like the feeling in it, <laughs> but the feeling after that, you might want to consider doing that as part of your daily routine. If you're not, don't worry about it. Maybe you can work on other things, but I would say, I would say those two things. So walking is an easy thing. Cold water shower is a bit of a hard thing, but those, those two things I've, I found I use with all my clients and I've personally found it extremely beneficial. Yeah. And uh, I would just like to add to that, push yourself out of your comfort zone because, 100%. you know, if, if, even if it's walking, you know, walk a little bit further than you usually would. If it's, ta- if it's taking a plunge and going for that cold shower, then do it. If it's lifting those weights, whatever it is, just push yourself out of your comfort zone tomorrow and building those acute stressors along with your nutrition that we've talked about today. So I'd like to thank you very much, Dorian, for, for coming on. And just before you go, tell everybody where they can find you. Are you on uh, social media? Have you got a website, anything like that? Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm on Instagram. So probably that's the best place to get me. That's where I'm most active at summit double underscore health. Uh, you can look me up on Facebook as well. Just my name, Dorian Soames. Um, I have a, a group on Facebook uh, called Symptom Reversal Formula, but either one of those, and I'm probably most active on Instagram. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time today, Dorian. No problem. Thank you, Matthew.